Welcome to Mosaic Podcast. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Mosaic Church, Leeds, based in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information on Mosaic Church, please visit mosaic-church.org.uk. Thank you for listening. Well, uh, as I said, we have spent time over the last few weeks looking at the kingdom of God. Uh, two weeks ago, I talked about desiring the kingdom. Last week, Nick looked at the essence of the kingdom. And today I'm talking about, wait for it, the ordinariness of the kingdom of God. The fact that the kingdom often advances through the ordinary things of life. And that's not just a good thing and a relief, but it's also something to be rejoiced in. A couple of months ago, I um, uh, was flicking through the internet and I found a church in the US that built a giant water slide on stage that ended in a baptismal pool. The idea was that the whole congregation was asked to go up to the balcony, step onto the water slide and down into the pool. Uh, Pastor Smith is the creative pastor and chief architect of what's been dubbed by the leadership Splashtism Sunday. The water slide is fun, said Smith, but the whole reason we did this was to get the most number of people baptised in the least amount of time possible. (laughs) If we can't count some of these baptisms because someone didn't utter the right words or because someone's head wasn't completely submerged, then what's the point? In the dry-off area next to the baptismal pool, a dripping congregant who identified himself only as Eddie was trying to get his iPhone to turn back on. (laughs) He told reporters, this was my first Sunday here. Asked if he planned to return to the church, he said, no, I, I think I'll stick to the rivers and lakes that I'm used to. And just then, Pastor Smith jumped in front of Eddie, doused him again with a large water gun and shouted, Revival! (laughs) Now, I love church, and I love baptisms, and I love water slides. But together, something struck me as very, very wrong. And then I found out it was all a hoax didn't actually happen. Some clever person had made up this story, but the scary thing was, it was believable. We live in a Christian world that is impacted by consumerism. The glow of the next big thing, the next big experience, has triumphed over common sense. Radical, epic, revolutionary, transformative, impactful, life-changing, ultimate, extreme, awesome, on-the-edge, explosive breakthrough. Most of us have heard expressions like these so often that they actually become like background noise to us. But something has been sown in our hearts and ironically many of us demand always to be satisfied by bigger and better experiences. Worship and preachers get measured compared to these moments and perhaps we are our own worst enemies. The church can be guilty of celebrating the miraculous healing and not the mother of two children under two who managed to pray for 10 uninterrupted seconds the other day. We want the silver bullet that will transform our lives and transform our churches. It's microwave spirituality. Do X and your life will be changed. Do Y 
and the church will grow and mature. Add a smoke machine and some twirly lights, you've got revival. And this demand to the extraordinary can lead to a couple of things. Everyone still with me so far? I'm just going to rant a little bit and then we'll get into the Bible. Okay, so just stay with me. So listen, the demand for the extraordinary leads to a few things. Number one, it leads to a lack of perseverance. So instead of a bit-by-bit transformation um, in Christ that takes years, we want a power encounter that takes seconds. Therefore, we don't persevere. We forget that most of Christianity is a long obedience in the same direction. That's what most of Christianity is. It's a long obedience in the same direction. Secondly, it leads to experience-based Christianity. If gradual growth in Christ is exchanged for a radical experience, we lurch from one emotional high to another. And for me, growing up, I became a Christian at 14 and spent all my sort of teenage into young adult years lurching from one high to the next. And there are some extreme lows in that period too, as I was desperate for that next emotional high to get me going again with God. Funnily enough, Mother Teresa, who recently has become a saint, uh, she lived with 40 years of doubts. Mother Teresa would be regarded in most, people, most people's minds as one of the best lived lives ever. But she, in her 40 plus years of ministry, spent long periods of doubt and spiritual loneliness and didn't live with any spiritual high. I had somewhere, quote, I couldn't find it for this preach, but somewhere where she said she'd only twice experienced tangibly God near to her. Thirdly, it leads to guilt. You can end up feeling that God only rewards the things that look glossy and glamorous. So that life-changing prophetic word or that worship song that brings about the manifest presence of God or the preach that leaves everyone speechless or the prayer that brings healing or the word of wisdom that breaks through a long-standing problem. Because most of us don't usually get those sort of things, we can feel like most of our Christianity is second rate and not very radical. Almost like we've not been good enough or we've not worked hard enough and it leaves you and me feeling guilty. And fourthly, it all adds pressure. We can feel a pressure to make the ordinary sound life-changing. I imagine quite a few people in the room, your testimony, your story of how you became a Christian is, well, I was brought up in church and so I trusted God when I was younger and I just kept going. And that's your testimony. I trusted God when I was small and I've just kept going. Now, what I find interesting is usually when you hear someone tell their story, we all try and make our stories sound a lot better than they actually are. Like we throw in some sort of I used to be a drug dealer in New York or something like that just to bring a bit of spice to what we feel is like a not very exciting story. Listen, you may have resisted the devil for 15 years. You've made Jesus the center of your life and you've made loads of mistakes. Hallelujah. That's your testimony and that should be celebrated. And you know, if you have ever felt a pressure to add to your story then that reveals a culture that loves the dramatic and not the ordinary and faithful. So I hope you see the desire for more, bigger, better, everything is awesome, is just unhealthy for us as a church. 
At the same time, if you've been around here a while, you will know that I believe we are meant to impact the whole world. And I'm trusting God for an Acts 17 type revival here in Leeds, which is full of miracles and revival and power and transformation. The whole city coming to God, the student population being transformed by Jesus. I love all that stuff. I even love smoke machines in church. I would even go for a water slide if we could pull it off. But it's not the only way and it's definitely not the best way. Everyone with me? You see, when we think about turning the world upside down for Jesus, we can think that we must live this radical life and that is we need to sell all our possessions, give up movies, work full time for the church and relocate to the Muslim world. And that's the, like, the real way that we live a radical life. And I want to show you tonight that Jesus calls Christians to a new normal, which means this. Which means most kingdom activity involves ordinary people doing ordinary things with ordinary jobs and ordinary friends with gospel intentionality. Why don't you turn to the person next to you and read that out to them. Great job. Listen, uh, if we can understand this, then we might see an ordinary movement that involves ordinary Christians, not super Christians, who live on mission in the day-to-day of everyday life. Ordinary does not mean mediocre. On the contrary, the best craftsmen, the best athletes, the best scientists, etc. will say there weren't any shortcuts. The ordinary, patient, habitual care for something important pushed them through the sometimes dull routines. I'm going to call you all towards maturity for more of Jesus in your life. But it's realising that friendships, marriage, child rearing, some of the best things that we have in this life all take time. And it's the same in the Christian life. Bursting sprints can only get you so far. Eventually, it actually gets you burnout. Sanctification is for the long haul. You don't have to transform the world to be a faithful mum or dad or sibling or church member or neighbour. And who knows, maybe if we discover the opportunities of ordinariness, a fondness for the familiar and a wonder for the mundane, we'll all end up looking radical after all. So what did Jesus say about an ordinary kingdom? Well, I want to give you four examples of the kingdom coming in ordinary ways. Number one, Jesus says it's organic. So Matthew, um, sorry, Mark 4, verse 26, he also said, Jesus speaking, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground, Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows. They does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces corn. First the stalk, then the ear, and then the full grain in the ear. And as soon as the corn is ripe, he puts the sickle to it, because the harvest has come. Jesus says the kingdom is like a seed that is scattered on the ground. 
And over time, mysteriously, without the farmer doing anything, the seed produces corn, which is eventually harvested. The kingdom is like something that organically grows over time. It's not overnight. It's something that's been buried in the ground, in the dark. And most importantly, the growth has nothing to do with the person who sowed it. God alone makes it grow. What's the kingdom of God like? The kingdom's like a seed that grows organically. Secondly, Jesus says the kingdom is ordinary. Matthew 13, verse 33, he told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 30 kilograms of flour until it worked all through the dough. Jesus says that the kingdom of heaven is like a yeast. Yeast is a common fungus. One preacher said it like this, the kingdom of God is like a benevolent fungus. That's how ordinary the kingdom of God is. If you're like me, you may have a a malevolent sort of fungus on your feet. (laughs) I'm happy to share at any time. But that's not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is a benevolent fungus. It's not that funny. It's not good for my wife either. She has to put up with my feet. What's that? Fungus. Do you like that word? Great. It's up there with moist as well. So moist fungus in between your toes. Some of you are thinking, why on earth have I come to this church? This is like the worst place ever. It can only get better. Okay, that laugh, Heidi, is awful. So Jesus says, the kingdom of God is like a fungus you mix with dough and makes one of my favourite things to eat, which is fresh bread. That's how ordinary the kingdom is. Fungus slowly spreads. A little thing that you don't even know that's there that infects the whole batch of bread. Number two, it's ordinary. Thirdly, it's hidden. Luke 17, once on being asked by the Pharisees who were sort of teachers of the law, they said, uh, sorry, when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, "The the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say here it is or there it is because the kingdom of God is in your midst. It's quite sort of a strange thing to say, but he is telling his crowd that the kingdom is so hidden that you can't observe it with your eyes. It's a bit like watching paint dry. You know, I had the privilege of praying with someone uh, last Sunday to become a Christian. Uh, she was from China. And it was a wonderful moment, and I really enjoyed just chatting to people about what had happened and we celebrated together uh, this lovely young girl offering her life to Jesus but you know what the hidden stuff was the hidden stuff was someone organizing and administrating share English hours and hours of time arranging with Costa uh, and the university sorting out all the invites what it involved was people praying most days for the last month for all those people that are involved in the course. It involves someone baking English food 
for international students to sample. It was someone hanging out to watch the football or serving nibbles at someone's house. It was someone being bothered enough just to stick around a little bit longer and chat to someone and learn about their culture. That is the kingdom of God right there and it's often hidden. And fourthly, it's slow. Matthew 13, verse 30, again he said, What shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It's like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. So the Jews thought the kingdom would come with a bang and they thought it would suddenly explode and God would defeat the Romans and the Jews would rise up with their true king. But the kingdom of God, according to Jesus, is like a seed, small and unimpressive, that when planted, well, when you come back to see how it's doing in a month, there ain't nothing there. Perhaps if you take a year, there might be a little sapling. Perhaps if you came back 25 years later, it might be as tall as me. Maybe if you came back 50 years later, it's 25 foot high, but still growing. It's a painfully long time to become a tree. And Jesus says, that's what my kingdom is like. Four things, organic, ordinary, hidden and slow. Seeds and yeast. So you've got to ask yourself, why do I have a difficulty with this? Why is it hard for us to sort of really appreciate this stuff? Well, perhaps you have to go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, the beginning of creation. God creates very normal things like daytime and food and animals and work and sex and nighttime. And he thinks they're all good. But the snake, who's Satan, says they're not good enough. Adam says, this normal life you've given me, God, even if as wonderful as it is, I want something more. I need something more. I want something more extreme, more seismic, more glorifying. I need more. They wanted to be godlike. They didn't appreciate the good and desired the awesome. And generations later, we are facing the same challenge. Listen, if you're a visiting student or a guest looking for a church in Leeds, given what we're talking about tonight, I'd say to you, don't go for flash and don't go for dull. Don't go for the best coffee. Don't go for the big promises. Don't even go for the church that has the prettiest girls or good, most good-looking men. Join a church that will love you for you and will invite you into a community where they will disciple you and make you a discipler. So it can look like there's some brilliant churches in Leeds. But make sure you make your choice out of a place of genuinely wanting Jesus rather than as a consumer that would go round and pick the ones that meet all your needs. If you're still not convinced that the kingdom advances in ordinary ways, look at our saviour Jesus. Do you realise that he started his public ministry at the age of 30 and died at 33? That meant he spent 10% of his life doing stuff that we know about. That meant 90% of his life was wasted, apparently. Have you ever thought why he became a carpenter? Why did he spend 20 years learning a trade in obscurity? 
Why did he spend valuable time just doing stuff like travelling or preparing meals or going to weddings or hanging out with kids? Why would God do ordinary life for so long? Perhaps it's because it's important and valuable and the way Jesus matured. You see, in our impatience and our quest for the latest breakthrough, there's a real risk that we miss the gospel, that Jesus has done it rather than we have to do it. We don't have to bring about the kingdom on our own. John 15 puts it beautifully. It says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. One preacher describes it like this, what that means, because we hear you are the vine and we're the branches, that's religious talk. One preacher says, what Jesus was trying to say is, I am the tree and you are the twig. I am the tree and you are the twig. And if you want to be fruitful, you just need to stay there as a twig, attached to the branch. And the way to fruitfulness, the way to grow in the kingdom of God is to stay a twig. And we want to do stuff, we want to crack on, we want to be radical, we want to go for God. And Jesus says, just stay like a twig, drawing all your strength from the branch, getting everything you need from me. Listen, let's pray for breakthrough and revival. Let's genuinely expect that the next big thing is the return of Christ. But hold in the balance that the bulk of your life is lived in a place that nobody has heard of, doing a job that most people are not bothered about. Let me say that again. Let's pray. Are you depressed enough? Sorry. Let's pray for breakthrough and revival. Please hear. I am so up for that. Let's pray with genuine faith, but holding the balance that the bulk of our lives is lived in a place nobody's heard of, doing a job that most people are not bothered about. This is crucial if you're studying or you're starting work as a career. You see, there is a massive pressure on you guys to have an adventurous life or a career that's dynamic or going somewhere or that's exciting. This pressure means students and young professionals can have a preoccupation with travel, seeing the world and pursuing a career that perhaps is just perfect to a person's unique combination of passion, gifts and personality and most importantly appears quite glamorous and interesting. Listen, you do not have to have a sexy job to be a Christian. It's okay to be faithful, to start at the bottom of the career ladder, to try some things and over time work out who God has made you to be and the place he wants you to work. There's massive pressure to have it all worked out. Massive pressure to have a career that just looks good. 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 11 tells us, Aspire to live quietly. And to mind your own affairs and work with your hands. You see, the transition from student to workplace is huge. And for many of you, you just need to get a job. You need to learn how to get up early five days a week. You need to spend time with Jesus every day on your own. You need to work hard, love your friends and serve the church. And for many of you, that's beyond you. You know, I'm, I'm not being negative. That's massive to, to, to try and do all those things. And many of you know, I've spoken to you, found those first few years of work paralyzing. 
because it was such a shock to your system and you didn't hold all those things in balance. Maybe for some of you, don't think, I've got to do this really amazing thing. Just do the faithful stuff well and God will use it to grow you. And listen, there's nothing wrong with travel. It's how you hold on to it that matters. You see, if it's a close-handed issue for you, travel, seeing the world, if you're like, I'm going to do it, then I just wonder if it's become an idol or it's become something you, you've, you've been sold this lie of an adventurous life and you feel like this is the way I'm going to truly live. I don't want to just be boring and get a job. I want to see the world. But rather, if it's an open-handed issue, so you can take the opportunity if it comes, but if you don't, it's okay to settle down and start working. You see, the Christian hope is that if you don't get to see the Great Barrier Reef in this life, you get to see it as God intended in the age to come. There's a man called Brother Lawrence who hundreds of years ago wrote a book called The Practice of the Presence of God. When I was 22, I read this book because I had this yearning in my heart that I felt that my Christianity sometimes felt like I would pray in the mornings and then do my whole day without God. And then at night, I would suddenly like, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. God, hi, I'm really sorry. Go to sleep. And I wanted to be able to bring God through my day. And Brother Lawrence wrote this very small, short book when he was working in the kitchens of a monastery. And after quoting 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 17, where where Paul talks about praying unceasingly, Lawrence said that one way you do that is to use breath prayers throughout the day. So you choose a brief sentence, just a couple of words or a simple phrase that can be repeated in one breath. Help me obey. I'm here to serve. Be my strength. Ordinary, small, but like yeast and seed that count and together add up to a life well lived. Lawrence also said this, do little things for the love of God who looks not on the great size of the work but on the love of it. I was speaking to a doctor just last week and he was telling me that about his sort of working hours and he just said I spent an extra half an hour, an hour at work just before he came to meet me because he wanted to uh, spend time with a grieving patient Um, no one will ever know really what happened in that half an hour. But that's the kingdom of God right there. A little thing done with a lot of love. I'm sure Jesus is standing on the side applauding this doctor, just saying, this is the kingdom of God. Little acts with a lot of love. There's a lady uh, called Tish Harrison who wrote down rather echoed this way of thinking. And uh, I just want to read this to you because it's great stuff. She said this, I was nearly 22 and just returned to my hometown after spending time in a part of Africa that had missed the last three centuries. As I walked to church, I bumped into our our church's associate pastor. I introduced myself and he said, oh yes, I've heard of you. You're the radical who wants to give their life away for Jesus. And it was meant to be a compliment, she said, but I took it away as that. But also it felt like a lot of pressure as I was torturously uncertain about what being radical looked like. Now I was returning to the US. Living for Jesus was difficult to work out. Here I was back in America needing a job and health insurance and toying with the thought of dating a young law student. 
and unsure about how to be faithful to Jesus in ordinary life and not even sure if it was possible. Now, I'm a 30-something with two kids, living a more or less ordinary life. While I'm slowly realising that being alone in a house all day with a two-year-old and a newborn baby is harder than being in a war-torn African village. What I need courage for is the ordinary everyday sort of life. Caring for homeless kids is a lot more thrilling than listening to people in my home. Giving away clothes, seeking edgy Christian community requires less of me than being being kind to my husband on an average Wednesday morning and calling my mother back when I don't feel like it. You see, that's not everyone's story. Others find the war-torn African village harder. And we've sent people from Mosaic to places like that. Please hear carefully. What I'm saying is both count. Both count. One isn't better than the other. If all of life is sacred, then being ordinary, all of life can be done for the glory of God. So I do not despise the big, dramatic, miraculous things. I love them. But we need, we need more of them. But it's not the only way the kingdom advances. So let me finish with this. If you spend your day a bit like this, if you grab 15, 20 minutes with the Lord, reading a Bible, praying a bit, before your day begins, if you as a difficult person or project or essay comes up during the day, you just remember to pray and give it to God. If you work through half your lunch break to cover for a less hard-working colleague, if you try and share your faith and it just comes out an absolute mess, if you have that moment where you want to shout at your kids and you just bite your lip, when you say sorry to a friend when you do something wrong, And when you go to bed, perhaps briefly pray, sleep and get up and do it all over again. That is normal for most people. I want to believe that faithful, intentional plodding in the name of Jesus counts and looks a bit like a seed, hidden, slowly growing into a tree that becomes the largest of them all. What's the kingdom of God like? It's organic. It's ordinary, it's hidden, and it's slow. And so there's two things I want to ask of you as we close and uh, as we, well, as I close and as we worship and as you get up tomorrow morning. I want you to celebrate the ordinary and I want you to elevate the ordinary. Celebrate the ordinary means your ordinary life counts. Let's be grateful. Uh, I was reading just this week of a man who said, I really want to celebrate the ordinary, but I hate it when people tell me that I'm ordinary. And uh, I'm sorry if any of you find this offensive. It's your pride that's doing that, not me. We all have ordinary lives in the room. But that's great. and should be rejoiced over. So let's celebrate the ordinary. And secondly, let's elevate the ordinary and recognise that God is wanting to use like the dullest bits of life, to extend his kingdom kingdom and grow you into more like Jesus. This is meant to be an encouraging message. I don't know if you're all depressed or not. You all look very down. But be encouraged, people. 
be encouraged that a radical life is often an ordinary life. Amen? Amen. Great. Do you want to stand with me? Let's have Ollie in the band back. All right, guys, you want to just close your eyes if you're happy to. I'd love to pray for us. So good, this kingdom series. God speaking to us about what the kingdom is like. And I do sincerely hope that you're encouraged tonight, that God wants to break into every little facet of your life. And it all counts for the glory of God. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you're here amongst us. Thank you that you love to speak to us through your word. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that uh, I'm trusting that you're encouraging us right now that we would live with intentionality, we would do the ordinary things with our hearts focused on Jesus, that we would all be radical in that way. And we pray, God, that you'd do something special, something that may take time, may be hidden for a long time, but something that only you could do. I pray too for just new people, freshers, people coming back to Leeds. God, would you protect them? I pray, Lord, that you'd come close to them now. Help them to do life as a student in a radical way too. Help them make really good decisions. I pray none of them would wander far from your presence. And give them grace, Lord, as they mess up from time to time. In your great name we pray. Amen.